Hey, friends. What you're about to listen to in today's episode is a short teaser of a bonus episode, a follow-up that I put out with Tyler Nelson today for patrons. The full version of this, the full episode is available right now. If you sign up for Patreon for $5 per month, uh, the full episode is about an hour and 15 minutes. And you can sign up by going to patreon.com slash the nugget climbing. Just takes a few minutes to sign up and you'll have access to 30 follow-ups that I've done so far with past guests from the show. Lots of really great information in those follow-ups and you can cancel at any time. So you can sign up for a couple months, listen through all of them at your leisure and you can cancel at any time, no questions asked. Obviously, I'd love it if you continue to support the podcast. That's the main benefit of becoming a patron is supporting the regular show. But yeah, I'd love your support for a month, two months, a year, whatever you can give, it all truly helps. So in this follow-up with Tyler, we geeked out really hard on finger anatomy and about a recent study that Tyler did with 23 different climbers measuring their finger bone lengths and their finger tendon lengths and where their tendons attach on their fingers, checking their leverage and all this really geeky, interesting stuff. So we spent probably the first 15 minutes talking about that. And then the rest of this conversation was all about the practical stuff, the implications for us as climbers, and some of Tyler's latest recommendations for ways that we can make our finger training more specific and more applicable to climbing and have more carryover from our finger training to our climbing, and also how we can make it more sustainable and reduce the risk of injury he actually started diving into this topic because he had so many people reaching out that were having finger pain and soreness from crimping and things like that. So that's what you can expect from this episode. I found it really helpful myself. I'll give you a free teaser here. And if you want to listen to the full thing, you can go to patreon.com slash the nugget climbing. I'll put a link right there in your podcast app and you can sign up to become a patron and listen to the full thing right now. Thanks for tuning in and please enjoy this teaser with Tyler Nelson. What I think we're going to talk about today, I'll let you tell me, <clears throat> is um, a study that you did on the anatomy of a bunch of different climbers' fingers and where their tendons attach to the bones and the implications for hold types that they should be training on. And we have this kind of accepted generic recommendation of the 20 mil edge that's somehow become like the standard in climbing training. Everyone wants to, including myself, wants to be able to to hang one arm from that damn 20 mil edge. Um, and it, what I've seen from, you know, what you've been sharing on Instagram and stuff, it sounds like while that might be appropriate for some people, it's just kind of random and it's not optimal for a lot of people depending on their finger anatomy. So I guess to start, Tell me about this study. What made this an interesting topic, I guess, for you, and what led to to wanting to do this study? Yeah, we've always I've always been interested in individual differences and how sports bring those out or demonstrate like which body type or anatomic different maybe fits a sport better. Is kind of what we we're talking about with my hip, but it really started when one of my coaches, Gabe, was here for. We were shooting some videos for online stuff for my client account on Instagram. And he was talking about like, how can he train his fingers? Cause he was asking me, 
like my fingers always get hurt. He was telling me my fingers always get hurt when I train them. And so he was just doing the normal, like use a 20 millimeter edge, do some max hangs, do some repeaters, but his distal joint always would get hurt. Which one is the distal joint? The distal joint is just the very last joint. Okay. Yeah. So the distal bone is this one here and then the distal joint. And then the, so when people say DIP, ah. PIP, and then MCP. So distal bone is where your fingernail is. Distal joint is right above that. And then the. Yeah, just right. Pro- okay. And so the term proximal means closer towards midline and the term distal means further away. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So the distal joint is further away then let's say the middle bone. And then this is just the proximal joint and the IP just refers to interphalangeal. So between the phalanges, which are the bones, what is the name of the joint at the base of your palm? Like where your palm connects to the base of your fingers? Um, Oh, that's the MCP joint. MCP. Okay. Yeah. So these, so like, uh, we can just do the hand anatomy, the carpal (laughs) bones are the ones in the wrist. Okay. And there's eight of them. And then there's bones that run in front of those called the metacarpals and meta just means in front of, and then beyond the metacarpals are the phalanges. Okay. And so there's a proximal middle and a distal. So proximal is the closest distal is the furthest. And then between those is just the joint. I think for people listening to this, we'll try to give descriptions as much as we can in case you're only listening on audio But I think I'm recording video right now, too. I don't normally do this, but I think I'll share this video for patrons um, if they want to watch and see you show us the different bones in the hands and things like that. So if people are interested, you can find that on Patreon. The MCP ones would be like when you make a fist, the ones that stick out. Those are the MCP joints. Okay, got it. Interestingly enough, I actually, someone, I was consulting with someone this week who had MCP joint pain, like on the backside. Hmm. And it was like, he went and saw a general orthodox wherever he was. And they said, oh, you have sprained MCP joint, like on the backside, but he had pain back here. And so obviously those tendons run through their own sheets and stuff, but there is like an A1 pulley that lives right here too. Oh, like at the top of your palm. Okay. Yeah, just like in the meaty part of your palm, right below where the calluses are on your palm side, hmm. right? Like proximal or closer to the palm than the A2 pulley but it attaches to it, but he had pain, like when he extended his finger, but he's like, I don't have pain unless I do this. Mm, like pulling so his finger across back. Those, yeah. yeah. Across those joints is a, like a thick part of a, the joint capsule called the volar plate where the A1 and the A3 and the A5 pulley attaches. So he had a pulley injury, an A1 pulley injury months in advance that was misdiagnosed. Ah. That's the only thing that caused him pain, but he had like a pulley injury. still. even though it didn't look like a pulley injury, but there's a one, there's even a zero pulley really deep in the finger too. Wow. Got it. Those don't get as injured as common, but they're definitely there. So the distal joint, like Gabe would always get pain in his distal joint with fingerboarding. And so I was like, that's crazy. Let me, and I was just looking at his hands. I was like, holy shit, your hands are huge compared to mine. Like your fingers are noticeably longer than mine. And so I was like, let's look at, let's compare them on the ultrasound. And so we used the diagnostic ultrasound to look at them and they were massively different, my finger and his finger. And what, what in particular are you looking at that makes you say that? So the length of the bone for sure is like something that's more objective that people can look at and they're like, wow, my bone's really long. And like side by side, our fingers, like his was, I think the numbers, if I'm remembering from me and him were his bone length was like 2.15 centimeters. And mine was like 1.8. 
Oh, wow. You know, and then, then you can actually see on the ultrasound, you can see the tendon attaching to the bone and how far away from the joint it attaches. And you can measure the thickness and all these other things. And the attachment length was massively different too. Mine attached like 50% across the bone from the joint. And I think it was because mine was like 1.8. I think it was like 0.8 centimeters away from the joint where my tendon attached that the end part, his was like 0.12 centimeters across the joint. Mm. So he had a huge bone with really short attachment point, just really bad leverage, just really, really bad leverage, bad okay. mechanics on his finger, right? Nothing he can do. Like he's not going to train that away. Mm. Right. And so one of the things that really got me interested and that, and I think that's pretty obvious. People know that they're like different and they all don't need to do the same thing. But when it comes to fingers and injuries, I'm kind of biased because I mostly talk with people with finger injuries, but they're massively different. The fingers are, it's weird. And so I was like, I, we should do more, measure more people's fingers and see what they look like. And like, there's definitely some similarities, you know, um, there's some outliers for sure that certainly would be better off, like, you know, reconsidering their finger training. Mm. Got it. Okay. So when you're talking about attachment points, you're talking about the tendon attaches to the bone, which is what allows us to pull our fingers down into like a crimp position, for instance. And the further your attachment point goes along the bone, the better the leverage. Yeah. You can just crank on that joint a little bit harder. Yeah. You just apply more force. Mm -hmm. It's like pulling on the end of a long wrench versus like pulling at the base of a wrench. Yeah. Yeah. You're definitely not going to pull on the wrench at the base, right? You're going to push as far away as you can from the center rotation, yeah. you know? And so the people that I've measured that have like grown, and I actually just posted just before we got on this call. That's why, sorry, why I was a little slow looking at my phone, making some tea, but like <laughs> I, I have 23 pictures that I took on with the ultrasound. And I, you know, I saved them on my, on my, um, software. And then I drew over them just so people could see, instead of looking at an ultrasound, because most people don't know what they're looking at, how different the bones look. And it's a really cool graphic where they're like, bones are fucking weird. They're like, some are like all wavy. Some are perfectly flat. Some wow. are really thick. Some are really thin, super bizarre, how different their anatomy really is in the fingers. And so for Gabe's example, he's like, his fingers are 0.15 centimeters longer than a 20 mil edge. Mm. And so for him, a 20 mil edge now becomes like a 10 millimeter edge or a 15 millimeter edge for someone like myself. Mm. Right. So it's definitely not like the same thing for each person, obviously based on both the length of their bone, but also the leverage right, of the finger. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. So, Describe the actual study. You found 23 climbers and just did the same thing as you did with Gabe, but just on a larger scale. Yeah. So we did. So we had 23 people, locals here. And I think we had a couple really high level climbers and then a lot of moderate level climbers and some, a couple of beginners. So we have a pretty decent like range of people. Um, and certainly the people that were on the larger, on the, had been climbing since they were younger, climbing the harder grades, certainly showed mechanical advantage and like in that. And then we, so what we did is we had them just come to the office and I had a, a student, um, Nathan Dicker help me. It's kind of like doing an intern with me. And so we had people come and do a standardized warm up. We scanned their middle and their ring finger on the right hand of everyone. And then we did single finger testing. 
So a single finger like flat pole testing on a 20 mil and a 10 mil on both those fingers. And so the only, well, the downside was there's only, we only had six females and we had 17 males. Okay. So 23 people total bias towards having more male participants, but really interesting to see like, and so that was what I was telling you. I was like calculating a bunch. Now I just got a bunch of numbers and you can do all sorts of wonky things with the graph. But the interesting thing is to see the difference between the right middle and ring finger on the same person. Mm. They're not the same and they're consistently different. And <laughs> I think maybe people know that. And there's been some other talk about that, but everybody's ring finger was weaker than their middle finger. Okay. Like by like, I think I'm looking at it right now. Sorry if I'm not looking at you, the 20 millimeter force average for male difference was seven pounds difference between middle and ring and on feet 7.8 and on females 8.2 pounds. And how much are people pulling with those fingers? What's the total? A single finger male um, was 42 pounds. 42.68 was the average on the right middle. And then the right ring was 34.8. Got it. So that's like a 20% difference between your middle and ring finger. Yeah, 19% difference. And then the female was 29.5 in the middle and 21.3 on the right, 28% difference. Wow. Wow. So that's the other thing that's, um, I don't know, any questions about that? I guess I can tell you that in a second, just before I jump into something else. I think that all makes sense, but it, it's just interesting to explore. So is the anatomy of the ring finger, like from person to person, is the mechanical advantage worse on the ring finger across the board? Or like, is there a correlation there? At least so what we see here with the males, the um, tendon length was the same, both fingers, 0. 0.75, 0. 0.76 average on the middle, 0. 0.75 average on the ring. And that was the length of the tendon. But the range is pretty big, 0. 0.68 to 1.1. Mm. You know, so there's a lot of variation there. And then in the females, it was similar to 0. 0.73 and 0. 0.72. The bone length was pretty similar. The like, <clears throat> let's see. The distance was pretty similar. Like now that I'm looking at them more broadly, like they're pretty damn similar, but there's still less force on the ring finger. Mm. So it's probably, you know, having to do with like the pole in the forearm and the actual attachment of the finger flexors. And I forget off the top of my head, there was one study that I was reading about how the FTP tendons are, some are slightly attached to the pinky in the ring. I can't exactly remember, but there's some anatomic differences between the pinky and the ring FDP than is in the middle and the index finger too. Gotcha. But it's interesting to see how they're different side to side, right? But the fingers aren't the same length, which is another interesting thing that I run into a lot with people that have finger injuries is when we're doing a half cramp, especially if it's on like a standardized 20 mil edge, like you have to hyperextend those middle two fingers. Mm those middle two fingers are have more flexion in them, which makes it look more like it's not a half cramp, but it's more like, you know, going into the full cramp position. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. You know, gotcha. Which, which requires them to extend the distal joint, which is part of the reason that people get distal interphalangeal pain. It's just the extension of the other joint. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Okay. Yeah. So if, there's a few things I'm most curious about that I want to make sure we hit on. Uh, the first is, what are the differences that you saw between the top climbers or the people that were able to express the most finger force 
and people that that were newer or had poor finger force just as far as their anatomy is there like a clear linear correlation there as far as attachment points or finger lengths or at least with what i see yeah i mean and i don't have that big of a sample size but and i've and i have other other measurements that didn't participate in this when i went and taught in canada and a couple local really strong athletes here that blew my mind in terms of their force production. And when we measure their finger, they have really good leverage. Like mm. obviously your training matters and the other things There's so many other factors, but there's no doubt that having that mechanical leverage as an advantage is I haven't seen anyone that's climbing that hard without it. I guess I can say that. Mm. Mm. But I think the, the one climber that we had here, that was the strongest, but not as strong as they get was he climbs V 13 and five fourteen plus. And I think his attachment distance was like 60% wow. the actual joint, but I've seen as much as like 80%. Wow. Yeah. 80%. Wow. 80%. And that person climbs V14. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you, but we wonder, right. Cause the, I think it's important for people to get like, you know, and I don't ever use this as a reason for people to like not be psyched to train and not think that they can get stronger because they can. But if you see people doing the craziest shit on Instagram, there's a reason why they can do that crazy shit. Mm. They've always been able to do that crazy shit. There's nothing special about their training that you're not getting or I'm not getting. Got they it. just have like that extra mechanical advantage, right? And that's like not that they're cheating or not a terrible thing. It's just like kind of cool to understand because I think it gives people maybe a little bit less stress on themselves to like take it easy on yourself. Like don't fucking hurt your fingers to try and do that because you're probably never going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. It's not what rock climbing is about anyways. Right. But I see a lot of that, like people trying to, or a lot of like just general recommendations where they're based on not the individual sitting in front of them instead of just like, you know, other, other common knowledge, I guess. Sure. Yeah. That's a good takeaway message. I like that. Just kind of re- reiterates that it's, you know, the, the, the journey of any athlete is to find their own system, their own way, like what works for them. And, and, you know, if someone has bad leverage or longer fingers or whatever, they might never have the strongest fingers out there, but they can still improve. And their process for doing that's going to be different from whoever that du- dude is on, uh, on Instagram, who's hanging off of like two mil edges and doing front levers and stuff off two mil edges. It's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I tell yeah. people all the time when I consult with them or what not when I do courses, like I've never trained to do a one-armed hang, but I can hang for 14 seconds on a 20 mil, but I've never trained that. Like, and I grew up and I learned to climb mostly trad climbing. Like I was never really that tra- interested in training my fingers until I was at a graduate school and like studied sports science. Then I was like, well, I'm really interested in this, mm. but I never really spent a lot of time training my fingers. I would just climb and I've never trained to do one-arm pull-ups, but I've always been able to do them. Right. So it's like, you know, that's the thing that people don't get when they just look at someone's Instagram handle is they're like, holy shit, like, how do you get to do that? Mm. Right. And then generally with few exceptions, the people that are doing that, they, they don't know, they can just do it. Right. They don't know how they got there. <laughs> and so if you look at their training program, it's probably not going to get you there. It's just going to like be a training program. Right. right. Not going to give you those results, which is important to know. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Freakishly strong people tend to make terrible coaches. <laughs> They're just, I mean, that's they're like, it's easy. Just do this. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and there's lots of people that are climbing way harder than I am that have less strong fingers than I do. Right. And so it's like, Mm. it also gives people another, that's good good too. It gives other people a good reason to know that like, 
your finger strength training, like it's not like a linear line, right? Like I usually, when I do consults, draw like this, you know, perfectly 45 degree line from the corner of a graph and say, that's not what it looks like where strength is on the Y axis, climbing grades on the X axis. It's just not as simple as like, I get stronger fingers, I climb harder, right? That's definitely not how it works. And that does not mean that strength training is a bad idea though, because that's the opposite is true. We still want to promote finger strength training, but we want to make sure that people know that it needs to be reasonable for them as an individual. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it. that's cool. That's a hopeful message. I'm curious, have you come across any like very strong V13 or harder or 514 and harder climbers that have what you would categorize as like bad finger anatomy? You know, poor. Not that I've measured. Really? No, okay. Measured. Dang. <laughs> maybe they exist. I don't know. I haven't measured. I mean, I measured maybe maybe like twenty. I mean, in addition to these people, but that was twenty three. But they weren't all really elite level climbers. Maybe like fifteen or so, like high level climbers. And they all have pretty damn good leverage. Yeah. Right. No one like like Coach Gabe did. Like you know, for him is like no. There's no way he's going to be able to produce as much force as I will ever. Mm. It's just, it's just not possible. Right. And so like knowing that, I think it, maybe that maybe people could take that hard on themselves, but like, I would say that's just a perfect excuse. Cause he can climb as hard as I can. Mm. That just means that his technical skills are way better than mine are. Right? That's Which cool. means that I need to do more technical skills training, you know, and he needs to like try and maintain or build finger strength while he continues the technical skill stuff too. Right. But so, yeah, there's, it's always like a, maybe not a, I always try and be very creative and subtle with the way I talk to people about it. So they don't take it as like, Oh, my fingers are weak kitten fingers. I'm screwed. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. It's kind of hard because that that's maybe what people hear. So we don't want that to be the message for sure. Right. Well, it is interesting because seeing you do this, it made me really curious. Like I kind of want to know what mine are. But I kind of don't want to know what mine are. I kind of, you know, I kind of just want to like get as strong as I can and like keep trying to train smarter and better and whatever and just let it be what it is and not, I feel like that would fuck with me if I like found out I had bad finger attachment points or something. Um, Yeah, that, that would just like mess with me. But if they were really good, then I'd be like... Oh, it's time to get to work. <laughs> now you get a confidence boost. Yeah. yeah. So I don't, I don't, I never use like good or bad. Right. And so you'll hear me like, you'll never hear me say that. Right. Where you're like, I don't want to have bad attachment points. Right? <laughs> it's like, I usually just say they're different attachment points. Right. Like there's, there's, right. there's reasons that people are like, have, I mean, it's very obvious that people have certain skills that they are really good at whether it's strength, whether it's like flexibility, whether it's technical stuff, right. Or a mix of both. There's a reason that people are predisposed to having those. And that's based on their anatomy. That's based Mm. on their mechanics, right? Like we talked about before, like people that play at really high levels of soccer, most of them have cam impingements in their hip, which would be considered a structural defect, but they all have them. So is it that soccer created those because mm. those kids grew up playing soccer their whole life? Or are those people just really finely designed for that toe out kicking with the inside of their leg uh. or inside of their foot? Right. So it's like, it's kind of like a nurture versus nature thing. We don't really know, but we know that they all have them in some way or another. So if you, if you go in there and you try and fix one of those, you're going to fucking ruin the athlete mm. because 
you know, cause that's another thing about the finger stuff is you don't want to like, you know, you, you obviously people would never assume they're going to fix these kinds of things, but when it comes to the hip, people have traditionally thought that they could, you know, help the cam or it's not a good way to move, whatever, but it really does not help those athletes. And so when we think about that in the context of fingers, I usually think about maybe providing advice based on people's response to training, not really like this is your finger leverage. You should do this. It's more like, well, what has been your response with your training previously? And what edge sizes are you using? Are you seeing gains or are you kind of like stuck? Mm. And if they're stuck where they are and they're like, I'm stuck, but I like my fingers kind of get sore all the time. Say that's something you want to pay attention to because if you're using that, intervention or that training methodology because you want to get some sort of outcome that somebody else got you're that's a bad decision it's not a very good reason to use that intervention i guess is what i'm saying mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. makes sense yeah it does it does yeah let's dive into the implications for athletes then and recommendations um or i, I want to make our way towards that because i really want to capture what you would tell people um if there's any way we can look at our own fingers and make decisions if we don't have an ultrasound anything like that and then what you're seeing how you're seeing it play out with your athletes training on bigger edges and still getting good results hey friends i hope you enjoyed that teaser with tyler again if you want to listen to the full thing it is available right now you just have to sign up for patreon for five dollars per month it's a great way to support the show if you sign up to become a patron, you'll also get access to ad-free episodes, so you can skip the ads at the beginning of the show. You'll also be able to submit your questions for guests. I'll tell you who's coming up on the show, and you can submit your questions and have them featured on the show. There's more and more perks coming all the time. Uh, there's more tiers with more perks. If you want to check that out, you can find all of that at patreon.com slash thenuggetclimbing. There's a link right there in your podcast app. Again, you can cancel at any time. And I really appreciate the support. Thank you, my friends. I appreciate you guys. And I hope you have an amazing weekend. We'll see you Monday. Like we do it.